So it's more the word of prayer. We'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. As we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. May we be exhorted, encouraged, even rebuked if necessary. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said. So last week we looked at chapter 27 and 28. And I tell the message, the tale of two kings. And what we saw were two kings, even though they were father and son, they were diametrically opposed to each other. The first king we looked at was King Jotham, if you remember, and it said that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. There is no greater statement that can be said of a man or a woman on this planet than that you did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Because it doesn't matter what the world thinks about you, it's what God knows about you that really matters. Now, remember that Jotham's dad was Uzziah, who actually was a good king, but a good king who failed in the end. If you'll remember what Uzziah did, is he was very successful and God was using him mightily and he was honoring the Lord. But then he decided to take the role of the priest. He went into the, holy, he went into the temple uh, to burn incense. And what happened? God struck him with leprosy. So Jotham had learned from his dad much of what he should do, but he also learned some examples of what not to do. So Jotham was a godly king. There's only nine verses about him. He's one of the few kings in the, of all the kings that are listed that has nothing uh, about him that was sinful listed. We know he's a sinner because everyone is, but he's one without any flaws recorded. Now, his son was the polar opposite. If you guys were here last week, what was the name of the most evil king Judah ever had? What was his name? Ahaz. Ahaz, it says, did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. As a matter of fact, he was a horrible, evil, idolatrous man, arguably the worst king in the history of all of Judah, did incredible damage to the nation. He made molded images of both Baal and Molech. Uh, he had a godly dad, did not follow his example, and he was actually having human sacrifices of, of children from throughout the nation, but even his own children, Molech, they would heat up its hands. It was a metal idol. And he'd heat up his hands and then take the baby and set it on the metal until it would fry to death. And to, and to quiet its screams, they would bang drums. Now remember, Ahaz is the king of God's people. This is a man who was in Judah, in Jerusalem, and he's supposed to be the king and he's worshiping all the false gods. Later, what we saw him do was he shut down the temple. You guys remember that? He stole all the implements out of it. He took things in the temple and cut them into pieces and we see him getting worse and worse and worse throughout the chapter last week. And at the end, he just, it says that he was a man who continued to grow in ungodliness, got further and further and further away from the Lord, and he reigned for 25 years, and he was an absolute mess. It says in 2 Chronicles 28, 19, for the Lord brought Judah low because Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah, and he had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. So here's a man who was, again, to be God's representative, the king of Judah. Remember, there's 10 tribes to the north, and that's Israel, two tribes to the south, Judah and Benjamin, and that's Judah. Israel, by this time, has already been taken captive uh, by the Assyrians. And so here he is, and he just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And it's so tragic to see a man who was called by God, who instead lives according to his own will. It says down there in verse 22, now in time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. So he sacrificed to idols. It says in verse 24, over there, so Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of the Lord, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every corner in Jerusalem. So what happened was, a man who was supposed to be, again, the king leading God's people and encouraging and being a man of prayer, a man of the word, a man who led his people in a relationship with the Lord, instead he was leading them away from God he had shut up the temple. He became more and more unfaithful. And in the end, as we know, 
he dies, and when he dies, it says that he had provoked the anger of the Lord. If God is angry with you, that is not good. Amen? And this nation was so ungodly and so far away from the Lord and worshiping anything and everything but the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the sad part is that's starting to sound more and more like our country, amen, where we were founded as a Christian nation and sadly, we're getting further and further away from him. We saw in the end that Ahaz remained evil and idolatrous enemy of God who led God peoples into his death but was not buried with the king. So the wickedness and laid hold of the nation, and it seems almost too wicked to come back from. So now we're going to get a new king, but imagine this is going to be the son of Ahaz. Now Ahaz, as we know, reigned for 25 years. His son who takes his place, 25 years old, which means he grew up with his dad always being the king from infancy. It's amazing that he escaped being humanly you know, sacrificed as a baby to Molech like some of his siblings. He watched the evil and the wickedness of his dad his entire life. He saw the nation worshiping Baal and every other idol. They had mountaintop idols. They had idols down in the groves and everywhere you went, false gods were being worshiped. And that's the way this young man was raised. So you would expect if he grew up with such an ungodly influence his entire life, and there was no sacrifices being made in the temple during his lifetime, there was no worship of the true and living God during his lifetime. But this message tonight really shows us that God, by his grace, can take one person and use that one person to change the world. And that's exactly what the man we're going to look at tonight is going to do. This man's name is Hezekiah. The son of wicked Ahaz will be a great and godly king. One of my many life's verses is 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf on one whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for men and women who will say, here I am, Lord, use me. He doesn't need a better message. We've got the best message. He doesn't need better methods. He's just looking for men and women who will say, Lord, I'm available use me. Lord, whatever the question is, the answer is yes. So if you have your outline, grab it. I titled the message, Seek Ye First the Kingdom of God. If you are taking over this kingdom, so when he takes it over, I want you to know the Assyrians have just overthrown Israel, and they are mounted up on the northern border of Judah. All the people are living wicked, ungodly lives. There is no worship of the Lord, there is moral uh, perversion running throughout the land, and all they've had for 25 years is the most wicked king ever, and now you get to take his job. And you're only 25 years old, and now you have to rule over this land with Levites and priests that are not doing their job. And what do you do? There's the army coming from the north. There's the moral perversion throughout the land. What is it you got to, what's the first thing you're going to do as the new king? So I tell the message, seek you first the kingdom of God, living for the Lord when the world around you is a mess. Is that applicable for all of us? Number one, doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord, even if you don't have the best example to follow, and even if you live in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation. This describes the life and the place where Hezekiah was growing up. He did not have a good and godly example. How many of you guys grew up with a good godly example in your home? Praise God for that. And if you didn't, I want you to be encouraged by tonight's message. Because even those who do, did not rate, were not raised with a good and a godly example, our God is faithful still. Number two, how do we seek first the kingdom of God? Doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. And then by making the Lord the priority in your life, by making the Lord the priority and passion of your life, by keeping your eyes on Jesus in the midst of the greatest storms of life, by trusting that if you put Jesus first, he will take care of the rest. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what does it say? And what? 
And all these things will be added unto you. When we make him the priority, when we make him the passion of our life, when we surrender our lives fully to him, when we walk in intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe, we can leave the rest of everything else in his hands. Amen? Because when we seek him, he is a faithful God. Point number three, by removing the garbage in your life so that you can focus fully on serving and worshiping him. When they go to the temple, they're going to find it filled with garbage, literally. The temple where the golden lampstand and the table of showbread and the Ark of the Covenant and the altar of incense once was, <coughs> has now been filled with garbage because of the 25 years of this wicked, vile king. And before they could start to worship God again, before they could start having sacrifices again, they had to remove all the garbage first. And again, as believers, if you have wandered away from the Lord, can I encourage you that while you can take a thousand steps away, a million steps away, it truly is only one step back. Our God is a God of love and grace and mercy. And what we need to do to get right with the Lord is come back and repent and say, Lord, please remove all of these choices that I've made. Lord, please forgive me. Please restore me. It's important to get right with the Lord first, then, you're pre then to prepare yourself to be ready to serve him and minister to others. When God saved you, he gave you spiritual gifts. He gave you the Holy Spirit. He has a calling on your life, and he wants to use you for his kingdom and for his glory. One of the things I encourage us to do all the time is to pray every day for divine appointments. I flew to Sacramento and back, uh, so I had divine appointments. And I love that. I always pray for who I'm sitting next to on the plane. One of them might be here on Sunday. And so it's just, but I pray for that every day when I'm walking through the neighborhood. And you know what, guys, as we're walking with the Lord, as we're pursuing the things of God, our prayer should be, okay, Lord, help me to grow in my relationship with you. And then help me to be ready when you're calling upon me to be used for your kingdom, for your kingdom and your glory. Number four, come back to a heart of sacrifice and worship. Getting right with God is something we should never put off. Amen? Now, I know this is a Thursday night crowd. We got a lot of people watching on live stream that'll watch later. But I want you to know that what the enemy wants to do, if he cannot destroy you, he will seek to distract you. And he will try to get you to focus on anything but your relationship with the Lord. And one of the things he won't, he'll try to tell you is that there's no heaven and no hell. Well, he won't believe that. So then what he'll tell you instead to distract you is there's no hurry. You can serve God later. You can use your gifts down the road. When God has called us to use the gifts he's given us now. And we should never put off, again, what getting right with the Lord. Never lose sight of the depths of the Lord's love for you. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you, and he proved it on the cross. He knows you best, he loves you most. He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever thought or done, every wicked, vile thing you're ever going to do, and he loves you in spite of it. We serve a loving, gracious, and merciful God, amen? We know that the greatest act of love is Jesus dying on the cross, and a spiritual, mature believer has a heart to worship. We're gonna see in the 25 years that he now serves the same amount of time, or actually 29 years, as he is serving, we're going to see the return of worship. And one of the things that I believe is really a mark of spiritual maturity is a heart to worship. I don't understand how you can possibly be in love with Jesus and not want to worship him. Amen? Is he worthy to be worshiped? What's the answer? He is worthy to be worshiped, to be praised, and to be honored, to be glorified. And too often we're caught up in listening to music. And again, whatever music you listen to, that's between you and the Lord. But let me just say this. God created music to worship him. And we're going to see a return to a heart of worship. And when we fall in love with Jesus, we can't help but worship him. When we think about all that he's done for us, we can't help but worship him and praise his holy name. Worship is one of the only things we do on earth that we're going to do in heaven. And then finally, the last point in seek ye first the kingdom of God is surrender your heart fully to the Lord. Did Jesus give you a little bit of himself or did he suffer and die that you might have eternal life? As Christians, we don't, we're not kind of saved. We don't give God 
part of who we are. We don't say, okay, Lord, you can have an hour and a half on Thursday and an hour and a half on Sunday and then live like the world the rest of the time. The Bible says, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And we need to pursue Lord above everything else. Live a life of intimate fellowship with God. Pray daily for divine appointments and be ready to be used by him. So we got 36 verses, so hold on to your hat. Here we go. 2 Chronicles 29, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Point number one, doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Look what it says there in the sight of the Lord. Verse one, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. I love his name. It means Jehovah has made me strong. That's a good name. Amen. Jehovah has made me strong. He was 25 years old, so again, his dad lived, was reigning for 25 years. His dad died, he became king, so that means his entire life, he's been the son of the king, watching the most wicked, evil, vile king who ever reigned in Judah. That's his dad. His dad could not have been any worse. Tore down the temple in a sense, shut it up, didn't tear it down. Increased idol worship, human sacrifices, moral depravity running rampant, more and more unfaithful to the Lord, and so bad they didn't even bury him with the kings when he died. And that's his dad, and that's his example to follow. But we're going to see Hezekiah, praise the Lord, does not follow in his dad's footsteps. He spent his entire life in the front row seat and all the evil that his father was doing. How will this young king rule in light of the horrible, ungodly example of a wicked father, keeping in mind that as he begins his reign, as I said, Israel has fallen to the Assyrians. They're on the border of Judah. And you would think that the first thing he would want to do is send troops up there, or to reinforce the wall, because we've got an enemy crashing down on us and we need to make sure we stop them. They could be here any day and they could overrun us and we could be destroyed. But we're gonna see that's not what he chooses to do first and praise God for it. Hezekiah begins his reign and again, Israel had fallen after 200 years of wicked kings and walking in rebellion against God. And Judah's filled with depravity, idolatry. The worship of Yahweh has stopped as the articles of the house of God have been cut into pieces and the doors of the temple have been shut up. Again, if you were a 25-year-old young man or young woman in your case, and now you're in charge of the kingdom, what would you do? You've got to put a stop to the moral depravity. We gotta reestablish worship of the true and living God. We gotta tear down all the idols. We gotta get ready for our enemy attacking us from the north. What in the world should we do first? We're gonna see that he has great wisdom. Again, it says he reigned 29 years, so he was going to rule for a good long time, and he's going to be a good king. So how does a young man inheriting this mess, what does he do? How can you turn things around if you were raised in such an ungodly home? Well, praise God. Let's take a look here at the rest of verse 1. There's a little hint of a godly influence. Look what it says at the end of verse 1. It says, his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. We know that Abijah from Scripture was a godly woman. And Abijah's name is whose father is Jehovah. Now, Zechariah, her father, is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 2, and is referred to as a faithful witness to God. So his grandfather is a faithful witness to God. His mother is a godly woman, got shacked up unequally yoked with that bozo Ahaz. Can I get an amen to that? Guys, you don't want to wait. You want, don't want to settle for less than God's highest. But because she is a godly woman and he has a godly grandfather, even though it doesn't give us the details, you have to think that Zechariah has been speaking into his life. And his godly mother has been speaking into his life. And so some of us, we have a lot of this in our fellowship. This happens a lot with believers where you have one saved parent and one unsaved parent. And for the saved parent, let's pray for them. If you happen to be that parent, you be a Christ-like example. You share the truth of the gospel. You bring your kids to church. And you be an example for your spouse and pray that your spouse will come to know Jesus. Amen? And praise God, 
in homes where there's only one godly spouse who remains faithful to the Lord. And so we don't have any detail here, but it does again say Prophet Isaiah is during that time that Zechariah was a faithful witness. So if he's a faithful witness to the world, do you think he witnessed to his grandson? Do you think he's spoken to his life? Do you think he shared with him the truth? And praise God, if you got ungodly parents, for godly grandparents, or a godly uncle, or a godly neighbor, or a youth pastor, or whoever it is that speaks into your life. And guys, I don't want you to think that because your parents are not walking with the Lord at the moment, or they haven't been, and maybe you weren't raised that way, the good news is you're here tonight because somehow God got a hold of you, or you wouldn't be here on a Thursday night, amen? And we need to pray the same for those that are growing up in that environment. Praise God for godly examples, even when they are outnumbered in ungodly families. Look at verse 2. And it says, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Now, David's not his father. Ahaz is. But this is a term that's used in the Bible. And David is his great, 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 great grandfather to some degree. And we know that through the line of David, the Messiah is going to come. And only four kings are referred to in this way, saying that they did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. There's just four kings, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, and I can't remember the other one, I'll remember it in a second. So there's four of them, and the re- so he's an elite company. He's a godly man. He's doing what is right in the sight of the Lord in spite of what his father has done. Ideally, we want godly parents raising godly kids, but you can have godly parents and your kids can walk away from the Lord and you can have ungodly parents and have a Hezekiah for a son. And so we all have our own free will and each and every one of us is accountable for the choices we make in our walk with the Lord. We all have our our responsible for our own choices And this young man is going to do just the opposite of his father. We know that David was the best king Israel ever had. And that's saying something. Was David perfect? Was he close? He was a murderer and an adulterer. Those are kind of two big sins. Can I get an amen to that? He committed adultery and then had her husband killed to cover it up. You know what though he was? He was a man who repented. Because the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. And what makes us a man or a woman after God's own heart? Someone who repents when we've gone outside of God's will. Amen? And the more we mature in our faith, the less and less time between when we sin and when we repent. It will get shorter. It'll go from days to hours to minutes to seconds to nanoseconds. Amen? The closer we are to the Lord, the quicker we repent. He did what was right. He did what was right. This is one of the best of the good kings. It says in 2 Kings of Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor were there any before him. For he clung to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. So the other kings were Asa, Jehoshaphat, Josiah, and Hezekiah, where it says this about him. So here he is. He's facing a huge task. He's a young man. He's got all the authority because he is the king. No one can question him. So what does he deal with first? The Assyrians at the border, the moral depravity running rampant, the idol worship everywhere, the human sacrifices, the temple doors being shut, articles of the house of the Lord cut into pieces. Where did this young man go? What does he do first? Well, we're going to see what his priorities are by how he responds. So point number one, they're doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. Number two, by making the Lord the priority in your life. Look what it says in verse three. In his first year of his reign, in the first month, he built a huge wall at the northern territory to keep the the bad guys. Is that what it says? He got rid of the moral depravity. He tore down the idols. What did he do? He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. With all the things facing him, the first thing that he did, the first month, the first day, as soon as he's king, 
No doubt he was thinking about this ahead of time. No doubt this was burning in his heart. As soon as I'm king, this is what I'm going to do. He walked in intimate fellowship with God, and the day he became king, he goes to the temple, he reopens it, he brings in the people to repair it. He's going to get the people to go out and find the implements to restore it. When he gets there, it's going to be filled with garbage. It's going to take him 16 days just to get all the trash. They turn the temple into a trash can, and he's going to go in and remove all the garbage. And he's going to restore the place of worship to the true and living God. This is what you do when you're a godly man. When you're in that position, the first thing you do is make sure that you're right with the Lord. To make sure that God is being glorified. To make sure that your nation once again makes Jesus Christ the priority and the passion of the nation. Amen? In this case, it's not Jesus yet. It's God the Father. But can you imagine... And somebody ran for president next year and said, here, we got a lot of problems in this country, but the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to return us to a nation that seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Amen? Guys, if you seek first the kingdom of God, he'll take care of the rest. This 25-year-old kid knows that if I honor God first, he'll take care of the enemy that's at the border. If I honor God first, he'll help me rid this place of all the idols. If I praise God and seek him first, he'll help me remove all the moral depravity that runs rampant in this nation. If I seek first the kingdom of God, he will take care of everything else. Ahaz had shut the doors of the temple and gathered the vessels of the house of God and cut them into pieces and shut up the doors. And Hezekiah opens the temple. If you had one day as the president of the United States, what would you do? You could do one thing. I already know what my, let's get back to Jesus. Let's get our eyes back on the Lord. And this young man, God bless him. Doesn't worry about, do you see him worrying about what anybody else thinks? He wants to do what he knows what God wants him to do. We need more men and women who are, who are like that verse, eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one who can show himself strong on account of. Notice what it says there in verse four. It says, then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. Now, what in the world have the priests and the Levites been doing for the last 25 years while the temple's been shut down? You'd think there'd be somebody who would try to reopen the temple or somebody who would voice an opinion against the king. Now, I want to say this. There are those who will say they love God unless it might cost them their life or their job or their popularity. And in this case, we see these priests and the Levites have been sitting on the sidelines so the first thing the king does, he goes to the eastern portion of the temple area of, the, of Jerusalem, and he calls them all in, in the out, on the east side uh, where the eastern gate is, and he's going to exhort them that the first thing we need to do is go fix that temple. The first thing we need to do is reopen that up. The first thing we need to do is get all the garbage out of there. He assembles those who serve in the temple. He wanted to cleanse and restore not only the temple, but those who serve in the temple. See, not only did the temple need to be cleansed, but the guys who serve in the temple needed to be cleansed. You know, you couldn't serve in the temple unless you'd been cleansed by God. They would have to take certain kinds of baths. Every time they would serve in the temple, they had to make sure that they were clean themselves. He's going to say, look, we need to clean up the temple, but we need to clean up you. And the same is true for us. You know, we need to clean up our nation, but we need to clean up us. Amen? It needs to begin with our hearts and our walk with the Lord. Notice what he says in verse 5. And he said to them, hear me, Levites. Now remember, there are 12 tribes of Israel. The Levites were the only tribe that got no inheritance. Within the Levites were the priestly tribes. Now while all priests were Levites, not all Levites were priests. But the Levites would serve in practical ways within the temple, those who were not priests. So he gathers up this tribe, 
And by the way, when they were handing out the inheritance, it looked like the Levites got the short end of the stick when they went into the land of promise because they inherited nothing. But you know what they inherited? Being servants to the Lord. What's a better inheritance? Inheriting a plot of land that's all going to burn before it's over or inheritance of serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So the Levites had wandered from their way and he's drawing them back. He tells them now to sanctify yourselves. Now that word there, to sanctify yourselves, the word literally means, as he's brought them into the, to the square, it says there in verse five, hear me Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. How tragic must that have been to go into the holy place and the holy of holies where the presence of God was to dwell and seeing it filled with garbage. You know, this happens in some church buildings when you go to faraway lands. It happened, uh, I heard a, a story about one in St. Petersburg. It was this most beautiful church building. And when the communists took over, they literally turned it into a garbage dump. And they filled up this place where God was once worshipped into a garbage dump. Well, that's what's happened in the temple. And there's, there's, this is the only temple there is. And it's filled with garbage. And he's letting them know. Now, the word sanctify means to consecrate, to prepare, to dedicate, to be holy, to be sanctified, to be separate. How did they do this? Well, there was washing that needed to be done in Exodus 19, avoiding uh, defilement and refraining from intimacy. So they were called to be set apart from the world and unto the Lord. Now, as believers today, when you give your life to the Lord, you are justified, just as if you never sinned. As soon as you surrender your life to the Lord, you're born again. It's just as if you've never sinned. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're, all your sins have been washed away. But the process doesn't end there because we're justified and then we, are, we begin to be sanctified and we are being sanctified until the day we are glorified. So the work of the cross is done. It is finished, paid in full, Jesus said so, amen? But after that, we are all works in progress. We're all being sanctified. We're all being molded more and more to the image of our Savior. And that doesn't end until the day we're glorified when we get to heaven. Now, what's amazing about this is he's telling them, guys, sanctify yourselves. Set yourselves apart. You need to wipe away the defilement of the world. You need to be set apart for holy use. And God by the way, the word sanctified is where we get the word saints. Saints, set apart ones. So as, who are the saints? Us. If you're born again, you're a saint, amen? So I'm Saint Dave. We're saints, okay? You're either a saint or an ain't, amen? you either been born again or you haven't. And so we're saints. Now, it does, now again, the Catholic Church and others, they try to you know, vote for saints after they died and find a miracle that they did. What a bunch of nonsense. Here's the good news. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you're a born again, new creation in Christ, and you're a saint. Amen? So he's telling these guys to be sanctified, to be set apart. They've been distracted. They've lost their way. The temple's been shut up for 25 years. I have no idea what they've been doing for 25 years. And the king comes in and brings them all, into the, brings them all in and says, guys, Here's what we're going to do. You need to sanctify yourselves, and I need you to go in there and clean out the temple, and then I need you to go and repair the temple, and then we're going to reestablish worship in the temple and sacrifices in the temple, and this is what I want you to do. There's a godly man with vision to do what is right. Amen? And we need more people like that today. And praise God for Hezekiah. Again, sanctify means set apart for holy use, and again, He's, again, being justified, now being sanctified, and we were created not only to know God, but to make him known. Look what it says in verse 6. Verse 6 says, For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him. They've turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and have turned their backs on him. Hezekiah calls 
out those that have been set apart to serve the Lord, to restore the temple. And those of us who know God must never fall into the trap of reducing ourselves to the level of a lost and a dying world. He's telling them, you need to be different than the world. Our fathers who went before us were ungodly. They made horrible choices. And because of what they've done, we find ourselves in the position we're in today. But guys, it's our turn. And we need to fix this mess. And here's what I would say to the generation coming behind us. It's your turn. And God wants to use you. Boy, I'll tell you what, it blesses me when I come in here on Sunday morning and about two-thirds of the worship team's under 25. Praise God for that. I love all the young people in our fellowship. We have, this, we have the young adults group at my house every other Wednesday. And I love standing up on the, the landing up above and I look down and look at 25 or 30 young people praying. Man, I love that, Amen. And that next generation needs to step up where this generation may have failed. And that's what is happening. And here's the king. He says, guys, here's what we need to do. Our fathers failed us. We need to be faithful. Just because your father failed does not make you, give you an excuse not to be faithful. Notice what he says there about them. They've turned their faces away. They failed because they gave God their back instead of their face. One might say that in every opportunity to encounter God, we choose to turn either our back or our face toward him. We either turn toward him or we turn from him. The Lord reaches out to everyone and we can either turn toward him and surrender our lives to him or turn our backs to him and walk away from him. And then when the disaster comes, blame him. It's not his fault when the disaster comes. It's our fault because we turned our back on the true and living God. Amen? We must not be ashamed of him, turn toward him, not away from him. Look at verse 7. It says, they have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. He lets them know where they failed. He lets them know it's all stopped. Where's the one priest to stand up to Ahaz? Where's the one guy that's going to say, King, I'm not going to stop doing that. I, were, I serve God, not you. Guys, that needs to be us. Who do we obey, God or man? When man tells us to disobey God, we obey God anyway. Amen? We stand for the Lord. We got too many milquetoast, wimpy Christians today who are so easily offended and don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Guys, if you don't know Jesus, I hope I hurt your feelings until you get saved. Amen? There needs to be conviction. Because without conviction, there's no conversion, amen? And we're living in a time where everybody's petrified that someone is going to, you know, oh, they're going to they're gonna cancel me. No one can cancel me because Jesus saved me, amen? And so I love his heart and I love his, his direction here, this 25-year-old young guy, and he's exhorting them. That, look, this is the first order of business. As king was, we're going to restore what our fathers have shut down the things they've walked away from and followed the world instead. They shut up the doors of the vestibule. That's the outer court. They've locked everybody out from worship. Boy, that sounds kind of familiar from something a few years ago, amen? That's why we kept having church because they're not gonna lock us out of worshiping the Lord, amen? Look at verse eight. It says, therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he was given up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. He says, look, because they turned their back on God, the righteous judgment of God fell upon them. Amen? I had pastors that would give me a hard time that we stayed open. You don't care about your people. Yes, I do. I care about their eternity. Amen? And the wrath of God falls on those who succumb to the world instead of standing for the Lord. Instead of continuing to worship. And the wrath of God came upon them. And in the wrath of God coming upon Judah and Jerusalem in a remarkable way. And he lets them know, you've seen it with your own eyes. Look at this mess. If you're standing in front of the temple and it's filled with garbage, look what happened. They turned away from God. Look what's happened in our land. It's filled with idol worship. There's moral depravity everywhere. Perversions running amok. Trans women are not women. Can I get an amen to that? 
So all these things that are running amok in those days, there's nothing new under the sun, and somebody's got to stand for the things of God and say, it's not okay, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, amen? And he's saying, look around, look at this mess. Shouldn't be surprised by the calamity. It happened because those who were supposed to stand for God refused to. They turned their back on God. They walked away from God. And now praise God for a 25-year-old young man who's going to stand for God and rally everybody up. And he's going to take the Levites and the priests who've been sitting on the sideline and he's going to get them cleansed and back into the temple. And they're going to take all the garbage out. And you know what? There's some churches that need the garbage taken out. When we stop teaching the word of God and we start pandering to the culture. Guys, the culture doesn't impact the church. The church should impact the culture. Amen? Lost or spiritually immature blame God for the consequences of their sinful choices. The spiritually mature recognize the consequences of their own fault, that it's God's righteous discipline. Grace is not freedom from sin. It's, free, it's not freedom to sin. It's freedom from sin. Amen? And so this exhortation comes in a strong way. This one man is going to change a nation. It's not him that's doing it. It's God that's doing it through him. But God had been looking. Eyes, and, eyes of the Lord starts to and fro, looking for one who can stand for the things of God. Then it says in verse 9 and 10, For indeed, because of your fathers have fallen by the sword and our sons and our daughters and our wives in captivity. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel with this fierce wrath may turn away from us. He's saying, look, we are facing the righteous judgment of God because we have turned away from God. And my heart is that we as a nation would turn back to God, surrender to God again, and make a covenant with God that his wrath may be turned away from us. Lord, we need to pray that for us as a nation. Amen? Hezekiah makes it clear that those who have died and those who have been captured in direct result of their choice as a nation to abandon God, to worship false gods. The Bible tells us the way of the transgressor is hard, and Hezekiah enters into a covenant with the Lord. Look at verse 10. It says, now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord. I love that. The word covenant there is a, a bond, a promise. In those days, often when they made a covenant, they would cut an animal in half and literally just say, if I break this covenant, this will happen to me. So a covenant was serious. When I do weddings, I always talk about the vow. A vow is not, I'm going to try my hardest. I'm going to give it a shot to stay married to you for the rest of my life. That's not what the vow means. A vow literally means a sacred promise before Almighty God that is binding for a lifetime. Amen. So when you take vows, I talk about that every wedding I've ever done. The guys, what you're about to do is make this covenant before Almighty God. A covenant that is unbreakable. God hates divorce. Amen? And so this is the covenant he's making with the Lord. He wants to get right with God. Here we are, still no mention of the other armies. All that other stuff, he knows we got to seek first the kingdom of God. When we start worshiping God again, when we start pursuing God with our whole hearts, when we reestablish worship and reestablish the sacrifices, then God will take care of the rest of it. Hezekiah enters the covenant, restores the nation's relationship with the Lord. They enter into intimate fellowship with God and they enjoy the blessings of intimate fellowship with God that takes the place of righteous judgment of God. Look at verse 11. It says, are my sons, do not neglect now. Do not, do not be negligent now. For the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense. He's telling these priests as they're gathered out there in the courtyard, okay, guys, time to get back to work. Time to start serving the Lord again. Time for all of you to repent. Where you've been, whatever you've been doing, it's time to get right with God and start serving the Lord again. We're going to clean out all the rubbish we're going to reestablish the sacrificial system. We're going to reinstate worship of the true and living God. We're going to make the sacrifices that, will, that are all going to point to the coming Messiah one day. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And once they reestablish the worship of the true and living God, 
Guess what's going to start happening to the worship of all the false gods that are around? Because if you worship the true and living God, you want nothing to do with all the false gods. Amen? Once you're following him. So he's going to mention four duties here. I'll just go through them quickly. They need to stand in God's presence before him. I think sometimes I get too busy and running too fast to think that somehow God is going to fit um, into a two-minute slot I've allowed for him. You know, we give God a little bit of time. By the way, a prayer life is not praying over your Wheaties for 30 seconds before breakfast. Can I get an amen to that? You know, it's taking time and setting time aside. By the way, if you're according to marriage and you spend as much time with the person you're courting as you do in praying, how long would that relationship last? 30 seconds every other day, they're out. Can I get an amen to that? But guys, we are walking in intimate fellowship with him. We not only spend time in his presence, but we also need to serve him. Again, don't get past being a servant. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? Servant of all. Not only do we serve him and stand in his presence, but we minister to him. I think the idea is here is we do for the Lord, but what we do to the Lord. Ministry, it talks about ministering to the Lord. It says in Exodus, when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water, they shall they, they die not, and when they come near the altar to burn offerings made by fire unto the Lord, it is an altar to the priest that the priest ministers. It's where he offers the sacrifice. This makes me think of worship. He comes in, and he's ministering to the Lord. So here's what a priest does. A priest was a picture, the high priest is a picture of Jesus. What did the high priest do? He interceded with God on behalf of the people, and then he ministered to the people on behalf of God. So he was an intermediary. And now we don't ha- need high priests anymore. We don't need priests, period, anymore. Why? Because we have the great high priest, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? He is seated at the right hand of the Father, intercess- interceding with the Father on our behalf. And he's the one who is the representation of who God the Father is to us. He came here, he suffered and died, that we might have eternal life. That's our Savior. Amen? And we serve the true and living God. That's why you don't need to go in a box and confess your sin to some guy who's a frustrated virgin, amen, who's going to tell you how many, how many prayers you got to pray, how many hell marys you got to say to be forgiven. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished, it's paid in full. We don't need to confess our sin to a guy in a box. We confess our sin to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? It just offended every Catholic in here. Guess what? The Catholic Church needs to get right with God. Amen? I I will say this. I do believe within the Catholic Church there are people that are saved. But I believe if you spend enough time in the Catholic Church as a saved believer, you will leave. Call no man father, save my father which art in heaven. And they call men father. Do not pray with vain repetition. We don't pray to dead saints. Can I get an amen to that? So... The reality is that this is, we're getting off track, and this is what's happening in the land. They're worshiping everything else but the true and living God. We need to cut through all the nonsense and worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Point number two there in Seek Ye First the Kingdom of God by making the Lord the, the priority in your life. Number three, by removing the garbage in your life so you can focus fully on serving and worshiping the Lord. Look at verse 12. Then these Levites arose. Mahath, the son of Amasai. These are all the names. These are ways of keeping pastors humble. I just want you to know that. Here it is. We'll go through this list of names. Amasai, Joel, the son of Azariah, the sons of the Kohathites, the sons of of Merari, Kish, the son of Abdi, Azariah, the son of Jahalel, and of the Gershonites, Joah, Joah, the son of Zema, and Eden, the son of Joah. Now, the Kohathites and the Gershites, the Gershonites, and the Merarites are all Levites. So there are three tribes of Levi, and only through one tribe would the high priest come, would the priest come, and the other two tribes were to serve in practical ways within the sanctuary or within the temple. Now it says there in verse 14, uh, verse 13, the sons of Elzaphan, Shimri and Jael, the sons of Asaph, Zechariah and Mathaniah, of the sons of Hermon, Jehil, and Shimei, the sons of Jeduthun, 
uh, Shimei and Uzael, and they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. So they were gathered together, they were exhorted by the king, and then they listened to what the king had to say, and they went and did what the Lord had commanded them to do. This is what we need to be as believers, amen? The Lord commands it, we hear it, we respond, and we do it, amen? Open the Bible, read the Bible, obey the Bible, amen? Open it, read it, obey it. The calling was on their life, they heeded the words of the king, and they went in to the house, doing house cleaning, if you will. I was trying to tell my wife, my wife is the cleanest person who's ever lived. If you've been to my house, you have proof. House is spotless all the time. And I'm like, babe, you should have been in this chapter tonight because they needed someone to clean the temple. You'd have gone there and tore it up, right? And so these guys are all going in there and they're doing house cleaning. They're cleaning the house of the Lord and praise God for that. You guys, we need people that are willing to do, hey guys, let's mop floors for Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Whatever we do, let's do it for the Lord. It says, and they gathered their brethren. Again, they sanctified themselves. So they cleansed themselves first so they could go into the temple. They were not allowed to go into the temple defiled. So they had to have ritual cleansing that they did. And they would, once they cleansed themselves, then they went in. And the same is true in ministry. Guys, we cannot serve the Lord. We cannot minister to the world if we first aren't cleansed ourselves. Amen. If you, you, you must be born again. And when you're born again, then you can minister to somebody else. I've been to churches where, I remember going to one church where I was guest speaking, and that they had paid the entire band. That wasn't a set, I don't call them the worship team because they weren't. It were a band. And it was two services, and, I, and these guys were all paid. And the way that I knew is that I went out at the end of first service, and they were all sitting in the back smoking weed and cussing. And I'm like, who the heck are these guys? And then I thought, well, we didn't have anybody to lead worship, so we, bought, we got this band from a bar down the street, and we just had them play Christian music. Um, I'd rather have a guy that knows Jesus hum. Can I get an amen to that? I would rather have somebody, you know, play with spoons up front who knows Jesus, Amen. So the first thing that needed to happen before they could go into the temple, they needed to be sanctified. And before we can be used for the Lord, we must be saved and born again and cleansed by the Lord. Amen? And so they've been sanctified themselves. They've gone in and they're going to do some house cleaning in a house that desperately needed to be cleansed. Then it says there, in verse 16, again, and the priest went in to the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris they found in the temple of the Lord and the court house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kidron. So they carried away all the garbage and removed it. Verse 17, now began to sanctify on the, fir on the first day, in the first month, on the eighth day of the month, and they came to the vestibule of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days, and on the sixteenth day of the first month, they finished. So it actually started on the first day of the month. What's significant is they're gonna, they, they went right through Passover. So they missed Passover because they were cleansing out the temple, and they weren't able to again, honor Passover because they were cleansing the temple first. So verse 17 is, is a staggering extent of the damage to the temple that it takes 16 days to carry all the rubbish that it accumulated in the temple, including even in the holy place in the holy of holies. Guys, they had drifted so far from the Lord. Final two verses on this point. Look at verse 18 and 19. Then they went to King Hezekiah and said, we've cleansed all the house of the Lord. The altar burnt offerings with all its articles and the table of showbread with all its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified. And there they are before the altar of the Lord. Guys, when these guys decide to do it, they did it right. They went and cleansed the place and then they went and found the things that had been cut into pieces and cast aside, and they brought them back into the temple, and they cleaned them all, and they repaired them all, and they fixed them all, and they did it for the Lord so that once again that God could be worshipped, so sacrifices could be made, and that the 
true and living God could be worshiped again. When I pastored a church in Santa Cruz, we spent 10 years in a gymnasium, and we grew to a very large church in a gymnasium. We finally got a building, and when we got the building, Santa Cruz is very expensive. We went to Scotts Valley, and we had 30, I think 36,000 square feet, and we had to build the whole thing out. And the reason we did that, they gave us six months free rent if we would build it out. So all the, car, all the contractors and carpenters, and what happened was everybody would work all day, and about six o'clock at night, people would come, and we would work till like two or three in the morning. And uh, some of the wives would come and make food for everybody and other people. And I'm not, I'm not the most handy guy, but I can carry sheetrock with the best of them. And so literally, it was so amazing to watch every night Christian music in there and all these people coming, using their gifts and building the house of the Lord. And it was amazing when it was finished. And everybody did it, everybody did it for the glory of God. And that's exactly what's taking place here. They may have wandered away for a time, but now they're coming back going, we got to get this right. We got to honor the Lord in here. We got to do this for the Lord. They cleaned out the rubbish first, then restored it for service. Again, justified and then cleansed, sanctified, set apart for holy use. So point number three there, seek ye first the kingdom of God by moving the garbage in your life so that you can focus fully on serving and worshiping him. See, now that the Temple's been restored. Now they can focus on worship. Now they can focus on the sacrifices because the garbage has been removed. Look at verse 20, point number four there. Come back to the heart of sacrifice and worship. Then King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, and went to the house of the Lord. You know, there's no time like the present to go serve God, amen? He heard the word that the temple was ready, so he woke up early in the morning, probably couldn't sleep. And once the temple was cleansed and restored, Hezekiah wasted no time reestablishing worship of the true and living God. Key to getting right with God is something we should never put off. Seek first the kingdom of God. Always make God the priority. I want you to watch what he does. He's the first thing he's going to do is make sacrifices. Look at verse 21. They brought seven bulls and seven rams and seven lambs and seven male goats for sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. Then he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bulls and the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. Altar. Then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on him. Now, seven in the Bible is the number of what? Completion. Completion. So what happens here, they took seven of each of the different animals they would sacrifice. So a completion of bulls, a completion of each animal, and they sacrificed them all. Now, notice with the goat, they laid hands on them. We've talked about this, don't have a lot of time, but briefly, that's where you get the term scapegoat. So what they would do, they would sacrifice some, but one, they would take and confess the sins, and they would send it running off into the wilderness. And they literally did it from the east to the west, and they would have people positioned at every spot to make sure the goat kept running further and further away. Isn't it interesting, the Bible tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, he separates our sin as far as what? He's is from the West. He's the one, he was the scapegoat. He's the one that paid the price. They're being reminded with each of these sacrifices that the blood of the innocent had to be shed for the guilty. The innocent were killed so the guilty could be forgiven. Of course, this is all pointing to Jesus who would take our place on the cross. They sprinkled the blood Again, the ultimate sacrifice on the cross is what it's pointing to. The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. They laid their hands on the goats. It's identifying with them. Verse 24, and it says, And the priest killed them and presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make atonement for all of Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all Israel. Now notice that the offering was made for everyone in Israel. They're only in Judah. And they, made the, they paid the price, they made the sacrifice for everyone. When Jesus died on the cross, who did he die for? Everyone. everyone. Now, even though he dies for everyone, not everyone's going to get saved. Because while salvation is offered universally, it must be accepted individually. Jesus' death on the cross could pay for the sins of every man, woman, or child who's ever lived. 
So he offers it to you universally, but he won't force it on you. And in this case, they made sacrifices for all of Israel. And many of those in the northern kingdom wanted nothing to do with God. No doubt there were some within the southern kingdom of Judah that continued worshiping idols. But this sacrifice had been made, so the opportunity to be forgiven was there. To have that blood applied to their lives. And then, so the the offering was made. And then it says in verse 25, they stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, with harps, according to the commandment of David, of Gad, of the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David, the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer burnt offerings on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began. And the trumpets with the instruments of David, king of Israel. Guys, when we recognize what Jesus has done for us, when the sacrifice has been paid, it should bring us to a place where we can't help but worship. Amen? The sacrifices were being made, and he said, we need worship. Now, what's amazing about this, it's possible that Hezekiah has never heard worship because for 25 years, his dad reigned, and the temple was shut down. But he knew what the word of God said, and he knew this was a time when we're reestablishing our relationship with God. How can we do anything but worship? They had the burnt offering where they consumed the entire sacrifice and then the sin offering where a portion of it was held back. So in each of these cases, it was a picture of Jesus Christ, of course. Then it says, let's finish off. So all the assembly worshiped. The singers sang. It's usually good when singers sing. That's a good thing. And the trumpeters sounded and all continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshiped. What happened? They were so thankful for the sacrifice that had been paid. And what did it do? It drove them to their knees. They bowed before the king of kings. By the way, not a lot of kings in the Bible do you ever see bow to anyone. But here's Hezekiah bowing to the true king. He knows that while I am the king on this earth, he's the king of kings. He's the one I bow to. He's the one who's truly the God over Israel and Judah. I may be reigning in this position of authority, but he's really the one who's the king of it all. And by the way, it's good to, the word bow, that literally means on your hands and knees to fall face down on the ground. And I want to encourage you that we can worship in sitting, we can worship standing, we can worship on our face. But I want to encourage you, there's times when we should pray about it, get in a position where we're not going to be distracted. When I've been most desperate in prayer, when things have gone, you know, when my one son was missing at one point, I would just lay on my face in my bedroom, face down, crying out to Almighty God. And sometimes that position, again, he hears you when you're driving, he hears you wherever you go, but sometimes it's a good thing to make sure that we turn everything else off and we're not distracted and we give God our, all of our attention, amen? And we see him here bowing before him. And I love this picture. So they sang, they go to verse 30, and it said, Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise songs to the Lord, the words of David and Asaph. So they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshiped. I love that they sang with gladness. Guys, when we worship the Lord, I mean, some songs are a little on the solemn side, but the reality is, I think when we worship, we ought to bring the house down once in a while. Amen? People get excited. Is there anything better than going to heaven? What's the answer? You've been forgiven. You're going to heaven, right? We get more excited about some guy scoring a touchdown in a football game that we've never met instead of singing to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? The word fan is short for fanatic. It's okay to be a Jesus freak. Amen? It's a good thing. So King Hezekiah, they ordered the Levites to praise the Lord. Dude, you need to praise the Lord. I need you to praise the Lord. You know what? Sometimes people need to be shook up 
to praise the Lord. But guys, we should praise him from our heart, not because someone else has to exhort us to do so. Worship is something that should pour from the heart of every believer. We're called to worship God in spirit and in truth. Worship is one of the few things we do on earth that we're going to do in heaven. Last seven verses here. Surrender your heart fully to the Lord. Look what happens. Then Hezekiah answered and said, now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near, bring sacrifices and and, and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought as many as were willing, uh, with a willing heart, brought burnt offerings. So all the other offerings were made for the nation as a whole. Now these are being brought by individuals. He says to them, anybody who wants to make a sacrifice to God, bring your sacrifice. So the sacrifice to everyone had been made. But now, if there's somebody, you know, if there's an individual that wants to come and make a sacrifice before God, they're invited to do so. And guys, praise God for the ultimate sacrifice that was paid for all of us. But my prayer would be that we would want to give back more to God than just thank him for the, the sacrifice that he made for all, to thank him for the sacrifice that he made for me and for you. It says there, Number verse 32, and the number of burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs. All these were for the burnt offering to the Lord. The consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few, so they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the priests had sanctified themselves, for the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. Here's what happened. The priests have been sitting on the sidelines for 25 years. So when it's time for them to be used, they're not sanctified to be used by God. And too often as believers, we've been sitting on the sideline. We're born again. We're going to heaven. But we're kind of on cruise control for God. And we sit over on the sideline. And now here's an opportunity to be used by God. But we've not sanctified ourselves. We're not walking in intimate fellowship with God. We're not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That divine appointment shows up and you're scared to death to say anything because you're not walking with the Lord. And here these priests are. They didn't have enough priests to make all the offerings. So they had to have the Levites come and help because the Levites were ready. And here's the reality. Sometimes the people that should be ready aren't and praise God for the people who are necessarily called to do it can step up and do it because they're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? They're ready to be used. God will use people like that. Then it says, last two verses there. Also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings, with the drink offering, with every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. In one day he made the command. He then gathered the people together. In 16 days they had cleaned it up. Then they repaired it. And in a short amount of time, worship was back sacrifices were being made. God was being glorified again. People were coming and making their own individual offerings. Priests and Levites were getting sanctified. God was being glorified. After 25 years, one man stood up for the things of God, responded not to, cheat, to worry about the enemy to the north, not to worry about the things that were going on in the land but to first honor God above everything else, to seek first the kingdom of God. And in a month, they're worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords again, and they're headed back in the right direction. Guys, our God can bring revival if one man or one woman will stand up when nobody else will. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. Help us to be those men and women. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one you can show yourself strong on account of. Help us, Lord, to seek first your kingdom and your glory, to walk in intimate fellowship with you, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be sensitive to divine appointments, to stand when nobody else will. Lord, we can't do anything without you. Without you, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Help us, Lord. We thank you for the example of Hezekiah. We thank you for a young man who stood when nobody else would. We're thankful, Lord, that that same Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said...